What's up, everybody, and welcome to another Boardroom Out of Office podcast. With me, as always, even though he took a week off last week, my right-hand man, Gianni Harrell. Gianni, what up, bro? Yeah, that's messed up. Why you leaving me out last week? Man, podcast 49 this week. That was 47 with KD. I left you out because it was off the cuff. KD said, let's do a pod. You know, like, what am I supposed to do? I was scrambling, man. I get it. I get it. I know how it goes. But, um, yeah, never again, bro. I'll never do it to you again. But this week we got an incredible guest, um, friend of the family, because our man Yoni, our uh, boardroom social media manager, is has a special relationship with um, – with Dusty Baker, so we had this honor of being able to speak to him today. And in in speaking to him, I've realized that the one thing that is universally said about him is he's one of the most well-liked and respected individuals in all of baseball, for sure, all of sports, it seems like, and just in general. Um, And I'm really excited to hear about it, talk to him about some stories that he's had in his career, because when, when you've seen and done so much in baseball, especially, I'm sure he's got iconic stories. So um, I think this will be a great convo for people listening in business, um, because people like this always have certain insights that I think anyone in any walk of life can utilize. And it's always like a great manager or a great coach that always have gems like that. It's like when we spoke to Doc earlier in the season. So without further ado, please welcome to the show, the legend himself, Mr. Dusty Baker. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, and you know something to be number 49. You know, I believe in omens and numbers and stuff like that. And I was I was born in 1949. So, hey, man, 49 a, a lucky number for me. I like that. I like that. We yeah. haven't had a, we haven't had a cool like coincidence with a with a show yeah. number. So this is a special one. Gotcha. Um, so the nickname, before we start, just because I've been trying to later in my life now, I'm trying to push and force this nickname Ace from uh, mm-hmm. the character Ace Rothstein from the movie Casino. But you have this incredible <laughs> nickname, Dusty. Tell me how you even got a name like that. Was that something earlier in your life or was that a baseball thing later in your career? No, I mean, that's as long as I've been alive, my family has always called me Dusty. And uh, uh, my real name is Johnny B. Baker Jr., but my dad was the only... Uh, Johnny B, Big John, everybody in town called my dad, Mr. Baker. Uh, and my whole family has never called me anything other than Dusty because my mom said that, she, you know, she named me. My auntie said that she named me, but there we had a backyard. My dad planted <laughs> grass. It was uh, it was uh, the playground for football, uh, baseball, any kind of sort, soccer. And there was one dirt spot that I loved to play in. And my mom said I'd come in dirty all the time and she didn't want to call me uh dirty so she called me you know dusty <laughs> i swear and and the only people that ever called me johnny were those i went to elementary school with and if i if somebody goes hey dusty and i turn around i'll just wave if, but if they say hey johnny then i knew it's somebody that i went to elementary school with because the teacher <laughs> wouldn't call you by your nickname you know yeah. they'd always call you by your name so as long as i've been living i've been dusty and were you someone that just locked in at on sports as a kid? Um, mm-hmm. And was that something that you knew from an early age you wanted to try to oh, do yeah. in life? Oh, yeah. Well, I knew I wanted to be a, a, a ball player. I knew I wanted to be an athlete. Uh, my dad was a, was a, a local uh, everybody's little league coach in Riverside, California. He was actually Bobby Bonds' little league coach. He was Bobby Bond's father away from home. And I was always with Bobby, who's four or five years older than me. And uh, I was close to the Bonds family. And uh, so I always had heroes, you know, and my dad, you know, was a big uh, sports guy. And and he hurt his knee during the war. So he couldn't play ball anymore because his leg was stiff. And uh, but he coached. And, uh, you know, our house was a basketball court. My dad built a goal and put it on the on the garage and put lights on there so I could play out there. Our, our house was a football field, the baseball field, everything. And I had heroes. All my heroes were sports guys. And my mom went back to school and, and you know, she was in education and, and you couldn't play sports if you didn't get good grades. And then my dad was the enforcer on that. And so, you know, my heroes in football were like Jim Brown, Gail Sayers and basketball. They were Elson Baylor. That's what I really, really loved. Uh, you know, it was basketball. That's why I was excited to come on KD's show because I've been following 
Katie and 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 the Nets and you know falling from Oklahoma to uh, you know to the Warriors and see that's where I live in Northern California so I really got to see him and then I had Tommy Davis in baseball you know who the you know who's the reason I'm wearing number twelve is because of Tommy Davis I was a Dodger fan then I end up playing his position and um, you know batting in the order the same order that he he was in then and then. Then in a uh, uh, track, you know, I had, uh, you know, Bob Hayes and Jesse Owens. So I always had heroes. And, uh, you know, we used to play in the backyard. That's all we did was play ball. You know, when we talk to athletes um, today or if we talk to business leaders, a lot about, like, their aspirations as a kid, there was this, like, complete dedication at an early age that was like they had blinders on to everything else whereas mm -hmm. I think that's something that's become much more generational where people let know what they want to do or young basketball right. players at the age of 12 or 13 or you know dedicating themselves 24 7 but in the 50s and 60s was sports something that you just had a really cool bounce with and had fun with and followed yeah. your your talents or was there like uh your mom or dad instilling in you this idea that if you want to play professional sports you got to have a different level of focus back then well i mean you know everybody dreamed about playing professional but how many people really you know thought that it would come to fruition you know what i mean i mean we all played ball in our town of riverside california you know we had you know bobby rule who played with the 76ers you know he motivated the kids to play basketball and bobby bonds man you know like he played everything and his and his sister rosie uh went to the olympics and track and then uh brother uh robert jr you know he uh played with the kansas city uh chief so we all had had somebody you know the gilmores you know the local sports guys you know to you know you know to look up to and 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 to try to be like and it was just something that, you know, if you didn't play ball in our town of Riverside of 50,000, where there's mostly black, Mexican, whites, uh, Japanese, everybody, you really didn't have a whole bunch to do. And, and you were kind of outcast. So everybody played, played ball. Now, baseball is something that we all played because it was uh, in the summertime. You know, we liked to play it. It was easy to play most of the time. But like I told you, I really love, and in this order, I mean, I love basketball. I mean, I got a basketball Jones, like Cheech and Chong used to sing about. Man, I was like, yeah, I, I had the basketball Jones. And then I love <laughs> probably football second, track third, and then baseball, you know, was fourth. So baseball was just what you were best at, I guess, at the end of the day. You mm, followed that. I was best at basketball. Yeah, that, that, that this one I like to say. I'd have been tiny, dusty Baker back, you know, back in those days. But I wanted Elgin was was my guy. I wanted to play in the NBA, and uh, uh, you know, my parents got divorced. My dad uh, had had uh, made me sign a letter of intent to go to the University of Santa Clara, which I didn't really want to go to. I wanted to go to more of a party school, you know, ASU or SC or some somewhere else. But my dad, you know, was about enforcing education and, and it was a, a, another predominantly white school, which my high school, my last two years when my dad's job got transferred from Southern California to Northern California, there were only two blacks in my high school, me and my brother. And so and, and, and imagine how it was in the mid 60s, you know, back then. I mean, it was, uh, you know, if I hadn't played sports, it had been horrible, but it was still tough, especially on me and my brother and, our, and my younger brothers and sisters. So, like, I didn't want to go to another predominantly white school. I mean, we were, you know, that was during the time of, uh, you know, freedom marches. That was a time of unrest. That was time of anti-Vietnam and nonconformity, uh, you know, peace and love. I mean, those were some very tumultuous times, uh, uh, and especially to be, you know, one of two black kids in a, in, in a time when, when people were choosing sides, yeah, you know? And so uh, uh, that's why I didn't want to go to Santa Clara. I mean, not because of anything other than that, but my parents got divorced. My mom was in school going back to get her, her degree and, and the Braves drafted me. And I, and I prayed, I said, what are I, you know, I just wanted to get drafted, you know, to say I got drafted, tell you the truth. And yeah. then I got drafted, and then I was like, Lord, please, whatever you do, don't let me get drafted by the Atlanta Braves because I don't want to go to the South. 
because that's when Lester Maddox and, and, and George Wallace and, you know, everybody was, ooh, boy, it, it was a tough time. And so uh, that, that morning I got drafted, which my son is hoping to get drafted uh, uh, next Monday during the draft, uh, no, uh, two Mondays from now. So uh, it was just, I got the call. And yeah. I said, Lord, you didn't hear me. And so, but, <laughs> you know, they, they, they uh, flew me to L.A., me and my mom. Now I had two weeks to make up my mind or else I was going to, you know, have to go to school, you know, where my dad wanted me to go. And Hank Aaron told my mom, you know, we we're he was on the Braves there playing the Dodgers. He told my mom he would take care of me as if I was his son. He'd make me get up, go to church, you know, not hang out all night, which was I couldn't wait to do. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, here I was 18, 19 years old. And I was always with Hank Aaron. I spent very little time in the minor leagues. You know, I was rushed through. I was a low round draft choice, but I got like second round uh, money. And, uh, and and then that ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me was going to South at, uh, going to the South at that time because my parents were big in NAACP in, in California. Hank was big in NAACP. Uh, uh, in this in Atlanta, you know, I got to meet Jesse Jackson, Maynard Jackson, Andrew Young, Ted Abernathy, you know, all the civic leaders of our time, which gave me a bunch of, you know, as a young man, a, you know, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of pride in being a young African American uh, dude, and 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 realizing kind of what the struggles were about, realizing that things were the same, but uh, it, it was a little bit. Um, phonier for lack of a of a of a better word in california than it was in the south but it was the same yeah you know it's just as in the south it was in your face and, it, and at home it was in your back yeah and so uh, like i said i i, I was really enlightened uh you know by that experience and and lucky to be around you know a great man like ken karen and my roommate ralph gar who taught me he was in the out of, in the same draft as me taught me how to how to be in the South because, yeah. you know, I was like, Hey man, you call me boy, you know, we got to go to fight. Yeah. And, and, but they call everybody boy, you know what I mean? And so there's a couple of times Ralph Gar stopped me from probably getting my head kicked in, you know, by the, you know, by the cops in the South. But uh, like I said, I was always blessed to be around, you know, some uh, people that were helping protect me and which I try to pass on to the younger players now. So, you know, it's, I, listening to that um, story leading up and yep. to the point you got drafted is pretty amazing because what I'm realizing is that, you know, the reason why I think I hear so many people universally say that you're so well liked, um, I, mean, I can hear you tell one story and I can see it for myself, but did you kind of know that that tactic in a lot of ways was survival as a young kid, like being one of two black kids at an all white school and then you know, having the kind of mm -hmm. the pressure of then going to a college with the same environment. Like you said, you either were going to go into attack mode or you were going to have to be able to, you know, adjust and to be able to right. communicate with people. And well, I mean, I, I wasn't intentional. I mean, it, it's I, I, I like to think that I'm I'm really one of the blessed, you know, one of the blessed young men that was chosen by God, you know, to be in this situation. I wouldn't have chosen myself to be in this situation by no means at all. But when you look back, it taught me how to get along with all people, taught me how to get along, especially, you know, with white people of authority, uh, um, where, uh, which is what I've always gotten in trouble, even in baseball or most of my life, are people in power, you know, in authority, you know, trying to, trying to mold me to be one way, but I know from my mom and dad, you know, how to be a proud man the other way, but also to pick your battles uh, because you can't fight every battle, but, but also there's an inner dignity and an outer dignity that, that, that depends on, on the depth of that dignity, uh, you know, per person. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, like I said, and then in between that, like I said, I, I was, I was a bit confused because I had gone from all white society to all, Black society were total segregation in the South. All the teams that, that I played on, Shreveport, Greenwood, South Carolina, Richmond, Virginia, we couldn't live where the other players lived. And then the Braves, I was in school, 
uh, during uh, the winter. So I didn't come out until till like June of 68. And I led the team in hitting. Then I was called to the big leagues. And they were like, man, this guy didn't have spring training. He didn't have nothing. And so I had a choice. You know, they wanted me to join the National Guard. The Braves did so that I, I wouldn't miss the whole season. And so I said, no, I can't join the National Guard because the National Guard was being called out on riots uh, uh, at that time or, or anti-Vietnam or, or, or marches or whatever. So I said, I can't do that. So the only thing open was the Marines. So, you know, I went to Marines. I wanted to have an Afro, but then, you know, how, how, how much can your Afro grow, you know, in a month? Cause it, you know, like I did six, I did um, six months and then one weekend a month, I'd, I'd have to go be a Marine. And then two weeks every summer, I'd leave to go be a Marine. This, and I did that for five and a half years. And so, like I said, I, I was I was going to a state of confusion, but I was so competitive that, you know, they said that one recruit was going to be the dress blue honor man out of, I don't know, how many, three or four hundred recruits or whatever in my platoon. So I said, hey, man, you might as well just give that to me now and, and, and don't waste time, <laughs> waste everybody's time. And so I ended up being, the you know, you know, the uh, uh, just the water man. I ended up being a recruit, you know, that was singled out to, you know, to be the leader. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I was even chosen to be in the uh, Marine Corps Hall of Fame, which, you know, not bragging, but I'm in quite a few Hall of Fames except the main Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? I'm in the California Hall of Fame, I'm in the Riverside Hall of Fame, Sacramento Hall of Fame, the Black American Hall of Fame. I don't know. I might have left out a couple, but, you know, maybe someday I can represent, you know, uh, my family uh, and, you know, my race in the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame someday. Well, I mean, that's hearing that you're in five or six Hall of Fames is a testament to the kind of life you've lived and you're still in your... Uh, early 70s with a lot of life in front of you. So I know that that call will come one day, but it seems like you're around special people. You're a special mm -hmm. person. And um, and I can answer that question for you. I can tell that somebody that knows how to communicate with anybody in any room and, um, you know, and is able to kind of adjust to the, the, the environment that they're in is always going to succeed in life. And, you know, that's in business, that's in sports, and that's in real life. But you've always seemed to like gravitate or gravitate to you was people mm -hmm. like Hank Aaron and, um, you know, and then Bobby Bonds earlier in your career. Yeah. And uh, and even I, I mean, my God, I read that you uh, smoked a J with Jimi Hendrix. I mean, what kind of like, yeah. <laughs> incredible like bucket list moment? Uh, yeah. What yeah, an incredible like Monterey Pop Festival. You know, that was my. You know, my mom was pretty cool too. You know, I mean, I mean, my mom was real cool. Uh, my mom gave me uh, twenty dollars for me and my buddy, and uh, that was our graduation present. And the use of the Rambler station wagon and two tickets to the Monterey Pop Festival. And uh, you know, we went to the Monterey Pop Festival in nineteen sixty-seven. You know, that's where we saw Hendrix and Joplin and uh, T-Bone Walker and all. And and we and we slept in the car. And we showered on the beach, uh, you know, act like we were coming out of the out of the water swimming. But it was, <laughs> <laughs> the water was so cold, man. So anyway, uh, you know, we used to go to concerts all the time. You know, I think that helped, uh, uh, you know, make me a well-rounded person. Uh, you know, when you're going to Winterland and Fillmore West um, at 18, 19 years old, not only seeing Hendrix, Joplin, uh, you know, James Brown, Sly and the Family Stone, you name them almost, we've seen them, and the guys on the team are amazed uh, by my selection of, of music that, you know, I go from, from rap to, to blues to, to uh, you know, to jazz, to rock and roll, to pop, or whatever. Plus, it helps also that I have a daughter 40 years old that's, that's cool as heck, and I got a son 22 years old. So, you know, you know, they keep me uh, hip and keep me like wired in on what's up, you know, today, which helps me stay wired in, you know, to the young generation and to the players of today. Yeah, no, you have so, to. Yeah, you have to. And, and, you know, like I'd like to think that, you know, similar to, a, you know, a musician, 
I mean, I mean, you know, the musicians can can tap in. You know, I hear kids listening to, like I said, there was a guy listening to James Brown the other day. There was somebody else. I mean, a young kid. You know, some kid was listening to the Doors. I mean, and I'm like, man, what do you know about these? You know, those people. What do you know about? And one dude listened to Otis Redding, and I was like, man, and, you know, you have to be multi generational, and you have to like, you know, transcend all all ages, and uh, you know, that's what musicians do. And uh, you know, like like I remember in San Francisco, you know, like John Lee Hooker was one of my you know, you know, was one of my main men. I got guitars from the Stones and from B.B. King and from Santana and from, uh, shoot, who else I got? Oh, Elvin Bishop. He's my fishing partner. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you know. some cool not, stuff. Dusty Baker yeah. does cool stuff, man. Well, That's your fishing partner. Smoked a J with Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I'll tell you All something right. else, and it seems like yeah. these amazing things follow you because you're this yeah. amazing guy. Like, you're on deck Right before Hank Aaron yeah. hits his uh, the all time home run record, so what? But tell me you, a little bit chosen. about that night. I told you I was chosen, man. I was like, that's what I'm saying. I believe it. Yeah. That's why Podcast yeah. 49 was uh, the same year you were born, 1949. Yeah. I, I yeah. believe all this. But tell me about that night because, yeah. I mean, this must have been an epic. Like, my God, tell me everything, bro. Tell Kinda, me about you know, it got more epic as 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 I got older. You know, at the time, you know, Hank wasn't, he wasn't very happy. You know, he was getting divorced at that time. Um, Ralph Gar and myself used to go down there and see him all the time at his apartment downtown. We'd hang out with him on the road every night. We were in charge of making him laugh and, and you know, keeping it light. Um, you know, he got a lot of death threats. He got a lot of, uh, you know, he had to sleep in, uh, you know, the same hotel, but he'd have two rooms. You know, you know, one would be the, the fake room. One would be he had a bodyguard where he really stayed. And uh, I tell you that night, I mean, he I mean, he told me, he said, Dusty, man, you know, I'm gonna get it over with right now. He says, I'm I'm, I'm tired of this. And I and he looked tired. And, uh, you know, he told me, he goes, hey, he gonna throw me this first. And he gonna throw me that. And he used to tell me that all the time, not bragging like Muhammad Ali, you know, when he's gonna knock a dude out. You know, he was really kind of schooling me on what to look for and that hitting's more than just hitting. You know, you got to be cerebral. I mean, to be a good hitter, especially a great hitter, because that's what everybody's trying to find out your kryptonite or how to get you out. And so, man, I, I, I knew when he hit it, it was gone. And personally, I didn't, I could have been the first one there. I wasn't thinking about history or nothing. You know, I was thinking about this is his moment. And and so that's why I didn't run up there, to, you know, to beat because I'm like, man, this is Hank's moment. This ain't my moment to get in there. And uh, I tell you, that was, uh, you know, that was his daughter, uh, his son, Larry, his mother, father, they all came out. And, you know, I'm still great friends with his kids because, see, I was closer in age to his kids than I was to him. <laughs> <laughs> so I just go hang out at his house. And go out and play basketball with the boys, or go out and then play some jacks and jump rope with Dorinda and, and, and Gail. And so, like, they're still like my my little, you know, brothers and Your sisters. Your family. That's yeah. amazing, man. I can't believe I just sat and listened to Dusty Baker talk about his combo with Hank Aaron before he hit his all time home run record. Well, you know something, too? That, let me add something. See, because I, I, you know, I have an energy company that, that, that I've always been interested in alternative energy and trying to leave the world a better carbon footprint. But I also uh, I, 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 um, became a, a grape grower and a winemaker about 12, 13 years ago, 14 years ago. And so I, uh, uh, Hank made me take some money, him and Mr. Moorhead, his partner, because he says he liked what I was doing. I said, Hank, I, man, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want your money. I can need, I could use it, but I don't want it. You know what I mean? That's pressure. And so like, he says, no, I want to be part of your company. So, you know, I, I said, what do you want in return? He says, I want you to make me a bold cab. And my partner and winemaker is a, uh, uh, you know, he was the head of viticulture department at UC Davis. Uh, and so like, we now have a Hank Aaron 755 uh, Cabernet. And, uh, you know, that, that's amazing that that's the only thing that, you know, that he wanted. So that's very, I miss special. him. I miss him. Yeah. 
Man, that's a very, very special story. I bet when that guy ran up on him uh, running the bases and you had your bat yeah. in your hand on deck, you thought about running over and catching that guy one time. Right? Well, you know something? <laughs> um, they were kids. And you see how Hank reacted. And let me tell you, Hank could take care of Hank himself. I'm just going to tell, right, tell you that right now. He seemed cool and calm, but, I mean, Hank, Hank could go if he wanted to. And, uh, I mean, there was a couple times – you know, I was a little smart, little rookie, and he said something to me, and um, and I said something smart back to him. So he grabbed me by my neck, back of my neck. Yeah, and I said, "Man, you," I said, "You better let me go, man." He goes, "Then what?" And I said, <laughs> "I said, don't mess with Hank Aaron." Yeah, I said, "I'll think of something." That's the only thing I had come up. With. <laughs> 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 and um another uh moment in your career or kind of like incredible like uh note about your career that i picked up was and i don't even know if i'm buying this one that you were part of the original high five when you were a dodger well that's what they say i mean that was glenn you know i mean glenn glenn was kind of like my son see i had all these little dudes that i used to take care of when they came up as rookies the same way that hank you know, took care of me because because Hank used to tell me and my dad that that, that there's nothing given to you that, that is yours to possess. He says you got to pass on somebody else. So Glenn Burke was the originator. He just I hit my 30th home run. He just he threw his hands up. I threw my hands up. And, uh, you know, Glenn's gone, too. You know, I mean, he's uh, you know, he, he was the first guy, you know, you know, to openly admit that he was he was gay and uh, and uh you know that didn't matter you know because glenn was like like our son you know yeah. like he was like my little brother and so uh you know i give the credit to glenn burt did what did he come out while he was playing or was it later on <laughs> after his career no um it was after the dodgers traded him because I, I i think they knew before we knew and so they traded him for another good friend of mine bill north billy north and uh, Billy was uh, was uh, playing on the A's. And uh, so there was actually uh, my wife's uh, or my, my former wife's, you know, best friend. I was over to her house here in Houston and uh, she's cooking us lunch. And, you know, like she was, you know, she's gay. And and I said, hey. Uh, and so, you know, Glenn goes in the bathroom and she goes, Dusty, she says, uh, you got any gay guys in, in baseball? I said, nah, I don't think so. She goes, you got any gay guys on your team? I said, no, no, girl. She goes, that guy in the bathroom's gay. And I said, nah, you lying. And she says, yeah. And how she knew or how, how whatever. And then, you know, things start happening. And then they traded Glenn, you know, which, which, which broke all of our hearts. And then he called me, well, Sport Magazine called me one day and said, hey, uh, you know, Glenn's, you know, you know, he's coming out of the closet and he wants you to talk about it. I said, no, nah, let me talk to Glenn first. I said, and, you know, I, I dummied up. I'm like, hey, man, what, what closet are you talking about? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so uh, I called Glenn. I said, Glenn, so-and-so called me, man. What, what you want me to tell him? He said, he said, Johnny B, he said, I got to make some money. He said, you tell him everything. And I said, you sure? He says, yeah, tell him everything. And, you know, this was after he had won the gay uh, Olympics, the 100 and the 220. And, uh, and then shortly after that, you know, he got sick. He got real, real sick. I saw him at the stadium and, boy, he looked like the shell of a man. And, but he actually got me involved. Well, not involved. But he actually got, you know, convinced me in my heart, you know, to try to, uh, you know, do something for, for people with AIDS. When, when I took my little daughter, who's 40 now with me to feed different, uh, people, you know, that, that were suffering from AIDS, you know, yeah. HIV. And, uh, so I forget what it was called, um, which I got a lot of backlash from even in San Francisco. So, but I didn't care, you know what I mean? So, you know, to help people, you know, you know, when people need help, man, I mean, that's, there's, you know, that's how the Lord, that's why I think he's blessed me, 
And I'm afraid not to help now, afraid not to give because, shoot, I, I mean, even in this job where I am right now, it's like, uh, I mean, there's no way in heck I thought I was going to be back in baseball or inherited a, a team, you know, of this quality and, and magnitude. Before we go through your playing career, outside of winning a championship um, with the yeah. Dodgers, what would you say was your best year playing, like where you thought you played your best individual baseball? Uh, Probably, well, I had to play good this year because, man, they are going to run me out the game. But I hurt my knee playing basketball in 77, and I, I told them that I hurt my knee running my dog, you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 and so – um, yeah, probably 77. And, uh, uh, yeah, I would guess that. Yeah, no, I, had, I had pretty good years in Atlanta, too, my first couple of years. But, you know, every year is different. Yeah. You know? And uh, uh, I don't know. You, you, you sort of learn from one year, go to the next year, and then learn from that year, and then carry it into the next year. And then you remember something of the past, but don't, but don't dwell on it. And then after your career, you went um, – it says you went right into coaching like a year or two after your career. Were, were you always dead set on staying in baseball? Was it never even nope. a question? Nope. I didn't want to stay in baseball. It's the last thing I wanted. Again, like I said, I've been – I'm chosen for this stuff. If you just let yourself be chosen, I mean, you know, you'll be directed sometime. I mean, not at your pace. Uh, I was a stockbroker in 87 because my brother – I had a nervous breakdown. He was our financial guy, finance guy. So I went back, you know, got some, you know, passed some tests and was a stockbroker. Then the stock market crashed. And so, and then I was getting divorced because most, most crossroads in my life have been when my parents broke up and then now I'm getting divorced and my brother. So uh, Al Campana said, said that some things about, you know, uh, African-Americans aren't qualified for certain uh, positions, especially, you know, thinking positions, I'm paraphrasing. And then uh, Al Rosen, who I didn't even know, uh, was the general manager of the of the, uh, the Giants, but he had been the general manager of the, of the Astros when I played against them for, for a number of years, seven, eight years, they're always fighting those guys. So um, I got a call from, from, from him and uh and he says hey man you need to come join us we'd like to you know put you on our coaching staff well the the dodgers that called me too they wanted me to coach bakersfield a ball team and i'm like man i ain't going all the way back to to, to a ball and ride the buses again and uh, and i said so i went to lake arrowhead me and my brother i went up there to you know to pray and try to ask for direction and the owner of the team taps me on the shoulder while i'm checking in the hotel and he says, hey, man, you need to come join us. That's Bob Laurie. And I says, really? What you doing here? He goes, hey, man, I'm here, you know, with my son and my wife. I said, this is my first time here. He goes, mine too. If I came two minutes earlier or two minutes later, I'd never seen him. Didn't see him the rest of the weekend. So I asked my dad, I said, Pop, what you think, man? You think that's a sign? He goes, boy, that's a sign that you don't want to see because that's not what I wanted to see. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, that's not the answer that I was kind of looking for because I didn't want to coach. Yeah. I was like, because I don't like shorts. I got skinny legs and I don't wear a whistle around my neck. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> you, don't wear, you don't wear shorts when you're a baseball coach, though, man. Baseball, well, but you don't your... wear shorts if you got little skinny legs like I got. You know what I mean? <laughs> Guys been making fun of my legs my whole life. So that's okay. Did you always follow? <laughs> you always follow. Um, do you always follow the sign? Like, do you always follow where you believe is no. the kind of chosen path? No. <laughs> I, 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 I do now, you know, but, yeah. but, but, Not but, a- uh, I mean, there was times when, when the path in front of me and I, I took my own path and then I always ends up kind of screwed up. But if I take the path that's chosen for me, then it always works out. Yep. You know? So as a manager, um, similar to earlier in your life when you got to meet such incredible people and people uh, gravitated towards you, you ended up 
coincidentally, which as we see in your life, there are no coincidences, you ended up coaching Barry Bonds. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've had the, um, you know, fortune of working with Kevin the last 10 years. And, you know, when you're around an elite athlete at that level, there's a certain kind of appreciation that if you stop for a second and really kind of just observe what goes into them mastering their craft and getting to mm -hmm. that level, it's an amazing thing. And I have an incredible respect for it. I mean, yeah. in the same way that I do for, you know, what you've done in your career. But what was Barry Bonds like as a player outside of the relationship that you had with his family that you didn't mm -hmm. know, that you didn't know when you, until you started coaching him? Um, I didn't know, you know, what a clean liver he was, you know? I mean, this guy didn't drink, smoke, he didn't do nothing. And, but I mean, how he took care of his body, you know, like he'd get on me sometime if I wasn't eating right or if I wasn't doing this, you know, getting your rest or whatever. I mean, he was extremely dedicated like Hank Aaron. And, and you know, he wanted everybody to think that he didn't really work that hard because, you know, he'd come to the clubhouse and sleep but he'd already been up like eight o'clock in the morning working out someplace uh, and hitting in some batting cage somewhere. And uh, the thing that I see similarities between him and Hank Aaron and the greats is their dedication, their, um, their concentration level and vision was, uh, uh, you know, beyond even comprehension, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, the ability to relax, and also at the same time, you know, the ability to to stay ready to, you know, to attack, you know, I mean, that's I mean, why do the same players like you watch KD and you watch LeBron, you watch certain guys in football, Brady and Barry Ponce. I mean, the, the same guys, uh, Michael Jordan, you know, who's going to take the shot. <laughs> everybody knows who's going to take the shot and and everybody knows. The pitcher's trying not to let this guy hit the home run. He hits home run anyway. I yeah. mean, and that's that's what I find um, amazing. That is a true superstar when everybody knows what you're supposed to do and then you end up doing it. Was he the greatest baseball player you've ever been around? Or was it uh, Hank Aaron? Yeah, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm partial to Hank. But I, I, I'll tell you, he's, 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 he's so close to Hank, it's unbelievable. And he's the best player that I've ever had. You know, on my team, I've had some great players. Uh, I am not lying. I mean, I've had some guys that, you know, I I have to marvel at sometimes, which I don't let them catch me gawking at them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, damn, dude, you are bad. You know what I mean? And I got, <laughs> you know, and I got a couple of them on my on, on my team now. I mean, yeah. I got some. I got. I mean, when I'm looking at at my team now, and I'm looking at Michael. Michael Brantley hit. I'm watching, you know, Altuve, and I'm, I'm watching Yuli. I mean, these guys, Carlos Correa, these guys can play some baseball, and yeah. and and there's no finer um, feeling that you have when you're watching them, you know, when they're at the top of their game. What about um, Bryce Harper? Tell me a little bit mm -hmm. about his game. Well, you know, Bryce Harper. I mean, he's dedicated too. I mean, this this guy. Um, you know, he's a competitor. And, uh, you know, the thing that, that it really impressed me about Bryce is how he, he takes care of himself and, and how, you know, like he's, you know, what I find amazing, you know, like I was raised, like I told you in Sacramento, um, and we had quite a few Mormon people in the, in the, uh, in our neighborhood. And, uh, I used to ask them, I said, Hey man, you know, do you guys really tie to the church 10% like you're supposed to? You know what I mean? And uh, don't drink, don't do not do nothing. I mean, I found that, you know, unbelievable. And that's how Bryce Harper is. And, and the fact, yeah, I mean, you know, he's Mormon too. And uh, and I asked him, I said, man, when are you going to do your, uh, I, I mean, he's really dedicated. And I asked him, I said, when are you going to do your mission? He says, when he gets to playing ball. And I, I found that uh amazing we used to talk about some of those things all the time i mean i miss talking to him that's remarkable i really didn't know anything yeah. about that um and lastly another player who 
you coached Sammy Sosa. You know, for me, right, I lived um, – I'm 44, so I watched baseball in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I, I think Sosa, more than almost any other player, is in some ways, like, from a casual fan perspective, just been pushed aside as a player that True. you acknowledge for being good because mm -hmm. he was never as great as some of these other players that were part of the steroid era. But – Sammy Sosa, I mean, that were part of the steroid era and had like unquestioned careers. When right. Sosa was playing and when you were coaching, managing him, what was he like as a player? Because he was very skilled and special. Oh, he was way skilled. I mean, I, I saw Sammy when he was a little skinny kid, you know, in the beginning. And, uh, you know, he told me, I saw him walking down the street in Chicago. He told him, I said, man, why do you play so hard? And he goes, man, I'm just trying to make the team. And uh, that, that ended up being his his mantra, just trying to make the team. Um, you know, like it got a little uh, tough on Sammy, I think, during, you know, at the end there. And I don't think that, you know, he's gotten the, the much appreciation for what he's done uh, to help save baseball. You know, like him and Mark McGuire almost single-handedly uh, – um, save baseball because baseball was in a bad place at that time. And, uh, and, and you go to Chicago even, and you go around, it's like Sammy Sosa and McGuire never played baseball at all. Yeah. And, and you know, at the age that you are now, I mean, boy, you couldn't wait to go home and watch TV and watch this, especially when, when, when those guys are at the plate. There's, there's very few things that can replicate, Right. Their, their chase that year and watching the highlights at night or waiting for breaking news of yeah. who hit a home run. It was an epic time. And, you know, you're right, because if you think about baseball now, the the kind of cry around the league for the last 10, 15, 20 years has been the decline in popularity, though mm -hmm. I, I actually believe that it's on a, an incredible upswing. And this year, I think, has really cemented that with – Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Tatis Correct. Jr., DeGrom, the excitement in New York, et cetera, right? Astros. Uh, Astros. I, I was going to get to your Astros. Astros, obviously, <laughs> but they're so the Astros are so polarizing. They need their own their own section of popularity and excitement. Um, I'll say, yeah. <laughs> but I think you're right about Sosa. I think that, like, especially with what we've been exposed to in society in the last few years and just the realities of just how negative and bad half our country is, to be honest with you, right? And yeah. what we've seen that like we, we could probably compartmentalize what happened with Sosa and McGuire, but also give them their flowers and celebrate it a bit. Because it, it really was an incredible time in baseball. And I know you probably can't comment on this, but I talked about this in my office the other day. Barry Bonds is one of the best athletes I've ever laid my eyes on. He was in Pittsburgh. He was in San Francisco. Yeah. What, what he did with the, every eyeball on him, like you said, when everyone knows that they can't pitch to you, when the whole ballpark is standing up hoping that you contact the ball and get it out of the park or nothing else, and right. you always deliver. There's there's nothing that can be. Um, and he got. And, and you know what was so remarkable about it? He would get one to two pitches a night to hit. Mm -hmm. I, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, that's why I said his his concentration was was uh, beyond comparison. I mean, um, do you know how locked in you have to be to to, to to take ball after ball after ball, and then they think they got you low to sleep, and then at one pitch you hit, oh, it's all the ballpark. He <laughs> didn't insane. pop it up. He, he didn't pop it up. He didn't hit it in the ground. It was out of the ballpark. It, it, I'm terrible. I, I was. I had the best seat in the house. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely incredible. The entire country just waiting on the yeah. one or two pitches that he got. And yeah, he was... because you know something. Hey, man. You know how much TV time, ad time he sold? I mean, how much time, how much money he made America? I mean, you know how much water he saved in America because you didn't even go use the bathroom while he was up. You know what I'm saying, man? <laughs> Am I right? A hundred percent right. Oh man, man, you'd hold it, you'd hold it for an hour to not miss <laughs> not miss that, you know, that one or two at bats. Couldn't pause the television back then. Oh yeah, that's right.
Um, all right, so let's get to the Astros because, um, again, as a casual fan, I think that the only perception of the Astros, like unless you dug deep, was that there was this scandal around them. But if you follow yep. sports even casually, there's scandals around players and teams throughout time. I, for one, believe these things do just pass, right? I know within the yeah. game of baseball, there's a different sacredness to it. Um, I won't right. name the player, but I once spoke of the situation lightly around a player in baseball who told me I had no idea what I was talking about and the severity of it all. But I do believe that time passes. We all ultimately, when we believe that there's just good there, we all right. just let it pass, right? But no question when the Astros were staring at the situation they were in and their manager mm -hmm. at the time was suspended, et cetera, et cetera, you were out of baseball. That, of course, you have the chops. I mean, my God, you have you know 50 years of 40 years of experience and every accolade there is. But there was clearly this idea that here's somebody that's almost bulletproof. Here's this universally loved figure that, I mean, in, has nothing to prove in his career, mm -hmm. but is going into the line of fire in some ways. And pretty flawlessly, as they were probably hoping, you have not only managed this team to be the best team in baseball, but you have quickly changed the conversation um, mm -hmm. by just being who you are. But being out of baseball for two years and then having this opportunity in front of you, where was your head at with it? And how did you feel about knowing that outside of your credentials, there was an element of like, we need Dusty to stand in front of this? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, that was that two year um, hiatus out of baseball. That was the third time that's happened. And uh, one time it happened, uh, we just come off of going to playoffs three years in a row. And so it's kind of like, hey, man, um, you know, if you don't win the whole thing that you're a failure, you see other guys still getting jobs that that hadn't done nearly what you've done. So uh, sometimes you say, OK, is it age? Is it race? Is it uh, a salary or is it all of the above? You know what I mean? And so like you you learn, you know, kind of make yourself bulletproof and uh, um at the time, like I said, I was chosen because there's no way that, that the Astros would have come got me had there not been this this scandal. So, again, I was chosen, you know, um, in my life. I mean, it was uh, I mean, it was tough. I mean, it was very tough. I had also interviewed for the Phillies job at the same time a couple weeks before that. And uh, I didn't get it. And my son told me, he said, uh, you know, here's a son talking to the father the way father talks to the son you know what i mean and he's like well dad you know maybe it wasn't for you to get it and something better come along i'm like man now you sound like me you know what i mean and so uh <laughs> 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 and so uh next thing i know uh the, the astros job came along and uh i mean at first uh and, and during the worst time during the pandemic during Stop, stoppage of spring training. I just, I mean, last year was very, very, very tough. And also as a, as a coach, I felt like a substitute teacher, you know, uh, I really did. I mean, even, I mean, my coaching staff, I didn't hardly know anybody. I didn't get to bring in my own coaches. They were all under two year contracts. So like, you know, nobody knew anybody. I mean, they had heard about me. They didn't know if I was disciplinarian, if I was this or that or, or whatever. And so it was a learning experience in a very, very short period of time. I mean, this year I feel more like this is my team. Uh, uh, it was tough in the beginning. It's getting, it's, it's subsiding some, somewhat, yeah, quite a bit. Cause I'm telling you, there was so much hatred out there for the Astros when we first started. I, I didn't know there was that much venom and hatred, you know, in our country. And uh, um, you know, I said a few things. I said, hey, man, I mean, you know, they talk about they have the reggae song, you know, if you live in a glass house, don't throw stones. You know what I mean? I think it's Peter Tosh or somebody. And it's yeah. like, well, that, that's true. I mean, uh, man, I mean, there's people out there that are like, you know, thinking that we live in this utopia type situation. I mean, and, and you hear about different scandals, different something all the time, but I guess baseball is being held at a, at, at a higher, um, 
level of of uh of morality i think but but we all have to realize that you know we're all people make mistakes and 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 capable of of doing different things yeah i mean i mean i think that was you know my point that i was saying about my conversation that i had with a a player and their Mm -hmm. reaction was like it it was pretty clear to me that the rules within baseball are just so sacred and to them and to itself that Right. It's like breaking that rule has nothing to do in some ways with public perception. But similar to what I said about Sammy Sosa is that like what we've all seen over the last 18 months or two years, right, and has always existed in our country and things that you've had to deal with growing up, you've dealt with mm-hmm. them in, in Cincinnati with the hate mail and the, the well-documented situation of what you went through there, which is that there Chicago, does... Hey, hey. And actually, Chicago was was I got more hate mail in Chicago than ten times more than I got in uh, Cincinnati. Oh my God, man! See the things you've experienced and the things that you've had to deal with. I obviously made you the right person for this job, but it also made me kind of surprised to hear you say how crazy the hate was on the road, and you had never seen anything like it with what you had dealt with in your career. Did it really, um, in some ways, parallel that, like what you dealt with? in cincinnati or is there nothing like that no. kind of nah this this was the worst and uh but again i was prepared for this i was prepared even for my own hate that i got through hank aaron because i used to read his hate, hate mail you know yeah. i mean he didn't give it to me to read i could tell he throw it on the on the floor and go to the bathroom seething mad and i'd pick it up and read it and try to put it back in the same <laughs> same place that i saw it you know and i found it in Yep. You know what I mean? And I was like, again, like I said, that, you know, that, you know, prepared me. Um, you know, when I look at uh, things uh, in in life um, or I look at guys that are like, um, you know, get expelled, I mean, for life because they have a domestic scandal or an abuse or they say something or whatever, it just seems like, you know, what they've done is wrong. What was said was wrong, but it seems like everybody talks about forgiveness, but see, we're not a very forgiving society and it's getting worse. I think, and if you make a mistake, man, you could, you could be exiled for the, uh, yeah, you know, for the rest of your life for that mistake. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was in the van Morrison yesterday when he was, he had a song too long in exile. And, uh, this is what we've kind of, you know, come to and I'm hoping that we can just get more forgiving as as people and society, but I kind of doubt it. Dusty, do you feel like how in basketball the the game has changed so much in the past five, ten years, the way yeah. the style is played? Do you think baseball is evolving in a in a different way than it was before? Oh yeah. I mean it, it, baseball is evolving if we don't change it, it's evolving to, to losing people, losing young people, losing, uh, especially, you know, minority people. There's very few African-American born minor, um, players on the field, you know, we're losing them to very little speed that you see, uh, you know, we're going to have to change this game back some in order to attract, you know, the young people, you know, just the strikeouts and, 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 and home runs and walks, I mean, that's not very exciting to me. You know, when you see dude go first to third or dude lay down a bunt or dude hit a – I mean, because I, I believe in all of them. You know, I like hitting home runs as much as anything, but also I need uh, I needed some hits, you know, and these strikeouts, strikeouts ain't going to get it. I remember talking to Gary Matthews. I said, Gary, the Sarge, I said, hey, man. I said, Sarge, what's better than hits? And I thought he was going to say, you know – a woman or a good deal. Or <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he, and he said, more hits. And I said, okay, <laughs> only thing better than hits is more hits, you know? And so, um, you know, the one thing that, that I, I know the numbers show it and everything, but when I watch a basketball game, I, I see the slam dunk. I see the finger roll. Uh, I see the three point play, but I'm, I'm, I'm missing the mid range jumper. You know, because they'll be they'll pass up the mid-range jumper and pass it back out for the three. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, the mid-range jumper is like a 
like an automatic single or something, you know? And so, uh, you know, I like the three, but uh, I just wish, you know, they go back to a little bit more fundamental play. That's all. Who uh, who do you think doesn't pass up the mid-range jump, sure. jump shot? Who what? Who doesn't pass up the mid-range? Everybody. No, who doesn't <laughs> pass it up? Think about who it. Do, who doesn't? Come on. Kyrie? Six, uh, yes, uh, that's true. Kyrie Kevin Durant. Take, there you go. Kyrie too, yeah. though. Ky- Kyrie too. Yeah. You're right. Kyrie yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Kyrie yeah. began to the elbow. Um, who's your team? Your Warriors fan? Uh, kind of. My wife's a Warriors fan. You know, um, I'm I'm a good basketball game fan. Tell you the yeah. truth. You yeah. know, I never liked the Celtics when I was a kid because I always beat the Lakers. You know yeah. what I mean? No so, one liked the Celtics. Yeah, but 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 probably more than any anything, I'm probably a, a Lakers fan. Probably, you know. Nice. I mean, my wife's a hey man. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made. I went to see the Final Four uh, two years in a row when I was out, and I went to the uh, the uh, you know the uh, game in Dallas with uh, uh, who was playing uh, Mariota, uh, Oregon, yeah, uh, versus uh, Ohio State. And so I told my friend, I said, look, send the bill home to me. You know what I mean? Don't, 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 don't send it on a text or email or nothing. Send the bill to me. So it cost me like $10,000 to go to all three of those series, so hotel rooms, everything, every, you know, flights and everything. So he sent it to my wife. So my wife goes, dang, honey, you see how much it costs to go? I said, oh, really? So I called my buddy. I said, man, what you doing? So my wife, she didn't say nothing. So she goes, okay, uh, I'd like to go to every uh, first game series uh, all the way through the playoffs (laughs) with the Warriors. Uh, Like, by the third year, I was wishing the Warriors would start losing. (laughs) (laughs) So you didn't have to get those uh, $50,000 playoff tickets. Yeah, it was like costing me so much money, man. (laughs) Man. That's why you got to you got to get down with the team your wife loves. The Warriors were an incredible uh run oh, when we were out there. I heard um, that. Man. Um all right, well before I let you go, any I look at your career and I think about you know, you have a long ways to go. I see how much energy and and youthfulness you have and and you're spot on about staying in touch and how important that is. Obviously, your son, congratulations, just got drafted. I know you have. No, he's about to get next week, hopefully. I'm, yeah. I'm foreshadowing. He's about to get he drafted. Will. He will. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah, congratulations on his upcoming mm-hmm. draft. You have your business, your energy business you mentioned. You have your wine business you mentioned. But your legacy is cemented in what you've done and the people you've impacted. What I've learned as I've gotten older is just how important all of that is and how maximizing your time here and, yeah. you know, at least if you care, leaving a mark is is something to be really proud of and you've left an incredible yeah. mark. But what what do you think you still want to accomplish outside of the obvious family stuff? Um, yeah. And if there's a regret that you think you're living with now, because I'm trying to learn about regret a bit. Tell me mm-hmm. what that may be for you and how you kind of look at that. Uh, hmm. That's a good one. I've tried to not have any regrets because I've asked for forgiveness um, for whatever wrongs that, 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 that I might've done. And I've done quite, quite a bit of them uh, at some point in time. So I try not to have any regrets. You just ask for forgiveness because see, when you start thinking about regrets, then you live in too much uh, in the past. And uh, uh, I saw my brother uh, die like three years ago, and he had been a he had double master's degree. He had been a uh, uh, manic depressant for about the last 30, 35 years. And, uh, the one thing that I saw was that regrets and guilt are, are the worst emotions I think that you can have. And so, and so you gotta, you gotta leave them back there. You gotta learn from them and just ask for forgiveness for whatever that you've, that you've, um, uh, done and, and hope that you didn't hurt anybody in the process. You're talking about things that, um, 
you know, might come or things that are coming. And uh, you said something a few minutes ago when you said um, about you got to maximize your time. And uh, that's big. You know, you know, be proud of your age. Be proud of how long you're here. Be proud of how hopefully you can help motivate others the same way that you were motivated because you don't you, you have no idea who you're touching you know, positively and, and negatively. But above all, just try to do the right thing and then hopefully tell them to do the right thing and then pass it on to, to somebody else. That's amazing advice. I appreciate that. Um, it's not every day you get feedback from somebody and insight from somebody that, in my opinion, has lived legitimately lived through all of this has encountered so many different people so many different environments in our society led groups of men through you know wars and it's not literal wars but in in sports and i think we realize this now more than ever in 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 our society the importance that's put on it the business that is around it that the stakes become so high and the pressure is so high and you seem like somebody that knows how to lead and stay composed um but you mentioned the Hall of Fame earlier. I'm kind of blown away that you're not in the Hall of Fame. I think that it's like baseball more than any other Hall of Fame is just so arbitrary. Yep. It's so irresponsible. Um, I think all of well, them are. Well, I'm not supposed to be there yet. You know what I mean? Everybody asks me, how come I, you know, don't, don't how come I haven't written a book or there's been a couple guys want to do like a short feature film or a movie or whatever it is. And see, I don't like sequels. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, other than maybe Rocky Four or Five or something like that. Four, <laughs> back in, four, four. Yeah, four. Yeah, back in the day. And so, um, no, there's just, there's some more to do. Yep. You know, and there's, uh, and just, uh, you know, some more, you know, some more life. Now, now my eventual goal would probably be, I got five acres in Kauai, would be to build on it and spend as much time over there as I could, not check out society, but you, now you can do a lot of stuff and get better on the on the computer and on the internet stuff so I could run my business from afar and, yep. just, and just do some chilling at the end. So I like the chilling part. We'll have to have Yoni yeah. make sure he helps you out with your... Uh... With your uh, onboarding onto the computer a little bit for your business, <laughs> yeah, no, um, man, I'm, I'm terrible. Some quick questions I want to ask as I'm learning more about baseball. Would you say Mike yeah. Trout is one of the five greatest players ever? As I've heard, is that possible? I don't know about ever. He, he he's he's on he's in route. You know he's what I mean? Route. Yeah, and and to me that's that's all you can say because ever is like dudes that played twenty years or I mean. You know, yeah. how long's Trout been? Like 10 maybe? And yeah, that's the, like I said, he's halfway. You know Got what it. I mean? Uh, and so. Okay. Another question for you. DeGrom right now at his peak. I mean, I know pitchers' Ooh. careers are different. But in yeah. terms of what you've seen over your time in baseball, how dominant is DeGrom relative to everyone you've seen? Well, tell you one thing. He's, he's as dominant as anybody that I've ever seen. And I face... Gibson and I saw Koufax pitch and I've seen, you know, Carlton and I've seen some uh, Tom Seaver. I mean, you know, we faced him in this spring training because we, we only played four teams. So every fourth day, the fifth day was his day to pitch against us. <laughs> every, I ain't lying. We saw him every fifth day. And this guy was throwing a hundred miles an hour, low and away command control, whatever you want to call it. And, and uh, I mean, he was, he's getting better, you know what I mean? And, uh, I mean, it's, this guy is a sub one ERA. I don't care what area you playing in or where you're playing. If you're playing on Bushrod park or Shea stadium or Yankee stadium, man, a sub one that that's man. I think if I was playing against him, I, I was trying to figure out how to get one for three with a walk. Maybe, you know what I mean? <laughs> Cause I think he's, Oh, he's nasty. Yeah. Maybe a hit by pitch. No, no, I don't want to get hit by no pitch either. That's 100 miles an hour. You know what I mean? That's true. 100 <laughs> mile with accuracy too. So. Yes, yes. All right. Well, listen, best of luck to you the rest of the season. Uh, it's been right. an honor to speak to you. I'm sure I could ask you a million more 
stories. Um, But thank you for giving us your time. I learned from you a lot. And I think like, again, what I said, I think your characteristics for anyone that's listening, that's a young person in business, sports, in life, your mindset and your approach and and how well liked and respected you are um, is something that I think we should all kind of um, aspire. Okay, let me ask, let me ask you a question: You a Yankee fan or, or a Met fan? Met fan. The Met fan. Hey man, hey, all the people in New York. I don't know anybody that likes both. Huh? No, I mean I don't hate the Yankees, but I'm a Met yeah? fan. I didn't ask that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Good point. Um, all right. All right, man. I appreciate you. Good luck. All right, brother. I'll see y'all later. All right. Take later. care. Later. All right. Later, man. Bye. All right, Gianni. That was a great combo with Dusty, man. Um, just like we said, really incredible dude. Um, those Hank Aaron stories. The Barry Bonds stories, just like old time baseball stuff, even for someone like you that probably don't remember any of it. I hardly remember any of it. But like there's something really cool about like old baseball. Right. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's a legend. Yeah. And I mean, just the people he's encountered. Man, incredible. Well, listen, I hope everybody enjoyed. Uh, We got one more in this season. Going to be a special one next week. And then we'll take a little break. But everybody can go to boardroom.tv every single day for all their content, sports, business, culture. Subscribe and download Out of Office. Subscribe and download the et ceteras. Once again, my name is Rich. My brother Gianni, we out you. Peace.